When uh, I was in college, I had this job working at a daycare. It was awesome. <clears throat> you can imagine a 20-something-year-old dude working at a daycare. So it was this place called Acro Kids Academy. Some of you may have gone there. I don't know. If you were one of my students, sorry. So here's the deal. Uh, the, the way it was set up was part of it was a daycare, and part of it was actually a gymnastics gym, like a full-blown gymnastics gym. Uh, one of the benefits for the daycare side was that you could take those kids into the gymnastics gym for recess when there weren't like gymnasts in there. So we got to do that. I worked with like upper elementary school kids. So one day we were taking the kids into one of the smaller gyms uh, for the littler kids to, to go and play for a little bit. Instead of going outside for recess, we went into this gym because who wouldn't pick a gymnastics gym over the Texas heat? Okay. So we go into this gym and I see this like unbelievable transformation happen before my eyes because, because these elementary school boys, something happens in them as soon as they like cross the threshold of the door into the gym. And they go from like, I am whatever their name is. And they enter the door and they scream to one another. The Pokemon character that they want to be for the next 20 minutes. (laughs) And they for the next however long play make believe Pokemon battles. Don't worry. You don't have to know anything about Pokemon to understand what I'm about to say to you. I'm not going to be like, and there's, I don't know anything about anything. Just know about this. Right, so they come in and they all declare to one another who they're going to be, and then they start fighting one another, like in like a this like fake way, right? Like, you know that kind of deal. Like they're they're war. I don't know how Pokemon fight. Give me a break. They're so they're fighting against one another based on who they said that they are. So here's the deal: that who they said they are changed how they acted in that moment. Now, why do I tell you that? Why? It's silly, right? It's Pokemon. Because the same is true about your identity. When you understand who you are, it will change how you live. And so we need to understand who we are in order to understand how we should live. The world gets it wrong. The culture teaches you this. Activity, identity, security. Here's what I mean. What you do tells you who you are and who you are gives you your security in life. Here's the problem with that. The day that your activity changes, your identity goes out the window. And the day your identity goes out the window, you have no security in life whatsoever. You see this happen with athletes all the time. They bet their life on the sport. I am a football player. I am a baseball player. I am a basketball player. Fill in the blank. And then it ends. And they're looking going, I don't know who I am anymore. Because they found their identity in what they did. And as a result, they found their identity and their security in what they did. And when that activity changed, they lost identity and they lost security. And you see this go wild all over the world. That people jump from thing to thing to thing. Trying to grasp at, give me something to give me identity. I need some kind of new activity to give me my my identity. In your world, it's sports. In your world, it's relationships. In your world, it's grades. It's band. It's fill in the blank. There are so many things that you all reach at to say, this is what I do. Therefore, that is who I am. And there are some of you who know. 
that thing gets taken, gets taken away and I don't know who I am anymore. And you're grasping at things for identity. You say statements like this. My boyfriend or girlfriend dumped me and now I feel unwanted. I got a B for the first time in my life and I feel like such a failure. I posted that picture to Instagram, but I didn't get as many likes as I thought I would. So I I pulled it down to keep my reputation. I got injured and the doctor said, I can't play anymore. So I'm depressed. I don't feel like I have any, any value anymore. Some of you have said these things. Some of you have heard these things and your statement might be different. But all of these are identity problems. So for the next three weeks, we're going to do this series called Identity. We were creative with it. Finding out who we are in Christ, because here's the deal. What I'm going to invite you into, for that matter, what what God is going to invite you into is to place your identity in something that's unchanging. Every activity that you do in your life will change someday. So if you put your identity there, it will get blown up. But God is going to invite you into get an identity that is unchanged because it's not based on what you do. It's based on what Jesus has done. And we're going to get some statements about your identity because of what Christ has accomplished. So for the next three weeks, we're going to do this series, Identity, finding out who we are in Christ because everyone's looking for identity. Everyone on the planet is trying to answer the question, who am I really? The bigger question is, Where are they looking to get it from? And I'm going to contend and I'm going to put before you and the Bible is going to put before you. There's no greater place to find your identity than in Christ because he is the only source of identity that won't change. He's the only source of identity that will never change. So we're going to look at Psalm chapter 32 verses 1 through 5 to gain a piece of your identity in Christ. Look at it with me. Follow along. Starting in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The part of your identity we're talking about tonight is you are forgiven in Christ. You are forgiven. So we have this identity as forgiven. If we are in here and you would claim that you're a follower of Jesus, this is part of who you are as a follower of Christ. So we're going to ask a handful of questions around that. What is it? What does it mean to be forgiven? Well, let's look at the scriptures. Look back at verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. To be forgiven is to have your sin put out of sight. Put out of sight. It says, that, it says here that your sin is covered. In another translation of the Bible, it says that your sin is put out of sight. Jeremiah 31, 34 says it like this. Speaking of the new covenant. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me for at least for from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. Check this out. For I will forgive their iniquity. That's their sin. And I will remember their sin no more. 
That when you become someone who is forgiven by God, God doesn't like, hey, I forgive you, but I've just kept this list of everything that you like, you've done and you're going to keep doing. I'm just going to let you know. I'm going to remind you. No, it's not like that. That when we are forgiven through Christ, our sin is remembered no more. It's put out of sight. And we have a hard time with that because we know how it rolls on earth. In human relationships, you hear people say, I'll forget, but I'll never forget. Or maybe they've said that they forgive you. But they brought it up later. And they used it against you. And they just punched you in the throat with something that happened years ago. That you, you thought that you said you forgave me for this. And so your picture of forgiveness, your picture of being forgiven is warped because of the relationships that you have here on earth. And so you, you put that on God and say, certainly you couldn't forgive me. If that's, if that's how this goes, then you forgive, sure, but you probably don't forget. You forgive, but you'll probably bring it back up because God, I know me and I, let's just be honest, I don't get it right all the time. So you can't, you can't really like remember our sin no more. You can't really put it out of sight, but this is exactly what God does. God is not the friend, the parent, the whoever that said they forgave you and brought it back up. God is perfect. And God's forgiveness that he extends to you is perfect because here's the deal. It isn't based on you. The forgiveness that you gain has nothing to do with you. And that ought to be really helpful and really freeing to us. We'll find out why here in just a little bit. So to be forgiven is to have your sins put out of sight. The second thing we find in verse two. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and he and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Verse 2 says it like this. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. That to be forgiven is to be free of guilt before God. To be forgiven is to be free of guilt before God. You see what the psalmist says? He gives a scenario about a time that he was in sin. Verse 3. For when I kept silent, when I kept my sin, when I didn't say anything about it, when I tried to hide it, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. That's not literal, by the way. It's just how he's expressing like it was bad for me. But when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Like it was wrecking me bad for day and night. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You know, you know, what that's called in the Bible conviction. That he kept silent about his sin and God's hand was heavy upon him. God's loving hand, by the way, is heavy upon him. And look what happened. Verse five, I acknowledged my sin to you. and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Here's the result. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God didn't say you hid for a little while. So not this time. God didn't say, yeah, but you screwed up the same thing again. Like this is ridiculous at this point. No. When I acknowledged my sin before you, you forgave my iniquity. He comes and he puts his cards on the table and says, God, I've I've blown it. And God extends forgiveness. No more guilt. No more shame. 
if God's not giving you guilt, who's there to give it to you? To be forgiven is to have your sins put out of sight and to be free of guilt. That's what it is. But the next question that we should answer is, how is this possible? How is becoming forgiven possible? The first thing is this, it's a work of justice. That forgiveness is possible because of a work of justice. Colossians 3, 13 through 14 says this, And you, that's all of us, by the way, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, that's in our sin, in our offense against God, in our rebellion against God, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven all our trespasses. How? How did he do that? How is that possible? Here's how he did it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Stop, look at me. What kind of judge lets a rightfully guilty person go free? A wicked judge would do that. But a just judge only lets somebody go free if somebody else paid the debt. And this is what we find. Look back. He did it by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Check it out. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. So here's the deal. Being forgiven is not. You just get to go free. It's all right. I'm a God of love, whatever, do your thing. You just free pass, just keep rolling. No. Punishment is given. It's just not given to you. You see, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes and lives the perfect life that you and I were supposed to live, and then he dies the death that you and I were supposed to die. The punishment that you and I were supposed to receive, Jesus took the full punishment, the wrath of God toward our sin. So you didn't have to. So you could get forgiveness. So you could be called forgiven. Jesus died so you did not have to bear the wrath of God. That's how you gain forgiveness, because the justice of God was had on the cross. And we get forgiveness. It's possible because it's a work of justice. And second, it's possible because it's a work of grace. It's a work of grace. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him, that's in Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to what? According to the riches of his grace. So God is justice and grace all at the same time. Sin is paid for in the sacrifice of Christ and you get forgiveness based on nothing that you brought to the table. You come with at best your sin and you come and say, oh God, I cannot fix this in me, but I'm coming to you, Jesus, and believing that you are the one who has lived, you are the one who has died, and you are the one who has risen, and you are the one who has accomplished my forgiveness. So if it's based on you, it can't be based on me. It's got to be a work of grace. And this is how... Our forgiveness is accomplished. It's a work of justice and it's a work of grace. Well, if that's the case, then how do we become forgiven? I know what it is. I know how it's available, but how do I get it? First thing. You turn from your sin. You turn from your sin. The Bible calls this repentance. 
It's literally a turning away from the old way that you were living. You were once faced this way and through the gospel and by the power of the spirit, he has drawn you away to a better way of living. He is, you're turning away from your sin. You're repenting and walking in a new direction. You turn from your sin. You acknowledge it to God. You drag it into the light. You believe there's no, I'm not hiding this from you anyway. And you drag it into the light and you believe that the blood of Jesus covers it. First John 1, 9 says it like this. If we confess our sins, he, that's God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, you, you might think in your brain, the enemy might lie to you in your head that if you confess, God's going to guilt you. If you confess to your friend about how you have failed, they're probably going to guilt you. But the reality is what the Bible says that if you confess, you know what you get? Grace. You know what you get? Forgiveness. You know what you get? Cleansing from all your unrighteousness. That's opposite of what we're lied to about. You're coming in expecting guilt and God's only extending grace and forgiveness. Because the grace that he's extending is made available through the death of his son. You being forgiven is not based on your accomplishment. So if you're thinking in your brain, I don't deserve that. You're right. You don't. Me either. That's what grace is. Your identity as a forgiven person is based on Jesus and Jesus alone. So you know what that means? It can't change because of you. Because it's based on somebody else's work, not your own. So how do we become forgiven? We turn, we repent of our sin, and then we trust in Christ. We trust in Christ. Acts 2, 38. This is after Peter preaches like the greatest sermon of his life. And there's tons of people there. And they're like, okay, so like what you said, I like that. What do we do, Peter? This is what he says in verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You turn from your sin, and you trust in Christ, and you receive forgiveness. You're like, it can't be that easy, Kate. It's that easy, or maybe it's that simple for us. But it's complicated on the other side, because it costs Jesus his life. Forgiveness wasn't free. It cost somebody. It just didn't cost you. It cost Christ. And he shed his blood on the cross and he resurrected from the dead, declaring that he is the victor and he's the way to God. So that you could be forgiven. So that you could be forgiven. So the last question is this then. What is being forgiven change about how we live? What does this matter for how we live? First thing is this. That if you're in Christ, because you are forgiven, you should be free. Because you are forgiven, you should be free. Look back at Psalm 32 with me. Here's how he starts in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. How does he describe that person? Blessed. Other translations say happy. Other translations say this guy is joyful. 
So if you're forgiven, if you're in here and you're, and you're in Christ, your identity, part of your identity is that you are forgiven. And if that is true, you should consider yourself blessed. You should understand that you should be happy. You should be free. You should not mope around. You should not chain yourself to your guilt. It's none of that. You should be full of excitement because God has set you free and given you forgiveness. And yet some of us get sucked into this reality. Yeah, I'm a Christian. God's forgiven me. But I'm not perfect, man. Like I, like I still mess up. I can't get it. I feel like I can't get it right. Like, like I love God. And, and I trust him. And I believe that Jesus is the one who died for me. And I believe him. And I've, I, like I've confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I believe that. But I'm not perfect. I'm not what I want to be. And so I just feel like God's disappointed. Maybe you thought something like this. The reality is, that's not what God thinks about you if you're in Christ. Think about this with me for a minute. At Jesus' baptism, he goes in the water, he comes up from the water, heavens open up. The Spirit of God descends like a dove, and a voice from heaven speaks, the Father speaks. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That's what he says about Jesus. That's what he thinks about Jesus. You're my beloved son and I'm pleased with you. Check this out. If you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, when God sees you, you know who he sees? Jesus. You know what he thinks about Jesus? You're my son and I'm pleased with you. So you know what God says about you if you're a follower of Jesus? You're my kid. And I'm pleased with you. Maybe you could say, you're my kid. And I'm proud of you. You're my kid. I love you. And I'm not going to stop loving you. And I'm not going to stop being pleased with you. And I'm not going to stop being proud of you. Because you're hidden behind my son, Jesus. And I've never stopped loving him. And I've never stopped being pleased with him. So if God's not guilting you, where are you getting guilt from? There's this scene in John chapter 7, John chapter 8. These religious people throw this woman into the middle in front of Jesus, caught in the act of adultery. They're like, hey, Jesus, Moses says that uh, this girl should be stoned. What do you say, bro? They're trying to trap him. They don't say bro, by the way. It's not in the Bible. Jesus writes some stuff in the dirt, looks up at the guys, says, he who, is out, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. So if you don't have any sin, go ahead and throw a rock. One by one, they drop their rocks and they walk away. The girl still crouched down in the dirt, hiding her face because she doesn't know how this is going to roll. Jesus bends down and he goes, woman, who condemns you? She looks up. No one. Lord, this is what Jesus says. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. So listen, if you're in Christ, God's not, God's not guilting you. God is inviting you into life. Listen, if you, as a follower of Jesus, if you feel some kind of guilt, you get, it's two places. If you feel some kind of guilt, it might be conviction that God is inviting you in to confess to come, be, to, to come into more life. 
God might be convicting you of sin that's in your life. Drag that stuff into the light. Confess it and be free. And maybe you're being guilted and it's just a lie of the enemy. This voice in your ear that says you're not good enough. You don't deserve this. God doesn't love you. Listen, you ought to speak back to that voice. I'm not joking. I do this. You might think I'm strange, but you just speak back to the voice and you just say, Satan, you're a liar, bro. You lose. Jesus got up from the dead and I stand behind him and I win. You lose. And you just say that until your heart believes it. And don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. If you're forgiven, be free. Be free. The last thing is this. Because you're forgiven, you should forgive others. You should forgive others. Ephesians 4.20, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 4.32 it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That the reason that we ought to extend forgiveness to other people is because we have been extended forgiveness from Jesus. But Cade, they don't deserve it. Cade, you don't know what they did. Neither did we. And our sin was just as offensive. Listen, forgiveness, forgiveness is not you giving them the thumbs up to their behavior. It's not. That's not what forgiveness from God is to you, is it? God is not approving your sin. God's saying your sin is so not okay that my son was slain on the cross. That's how not okay it is. So if you extend forgiveness to somebody as a forgiven person in Jesus, you're not saying it's okay. You're saying it's paid for. You're saying it's paid for. If you're forgiven, you should forgive others. Listen, if you're in Jesus, this is true of you. Forgiveness is not something you have. It's somebody, it's something that you are. You're forgiven. It's who you are. Claim it. Believe it. Live out of it. Be free. There's no better identity to claim than identity in Christ.